Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo, and hello everybody, Mike here ready to do another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, Clear Media, all that fun stuff. I, given my guest today, I want to say I'm not sponsored by Upper Deck or Panini or Beckett Grinning or Beckett Authentication or any of those places. Uh, SGC, I can't remember all the other ones. I had it memorized before I got on the air. But my, my guest today is Dr. James Beckett. You know, if you don't know who Dr. Beckett is, we need to talk, but uh, he's been on the show a couple of times before, and we're going to do a show today that's interesting. That's something that doesn't happen often. The people that I try to get on are, are well-versed in what they talk about typically, and they have a lot of passion and enthusiasm, all of those things, which is why I probably like them a lot because we, we share that, and I love that. But there's some things on an episode that I did a few weeks ago about 49 leaf the 49 leaf baseball set with dave berg one of my great friends blue jacket 66 and dr beckett reached out and he said you know mike i got some things i'd like to maybe add to that discussion and i think that's great to only add to the knowledge about truly one of the most iconic sets of all time is the 49 leaf baseball set so let me i'm going to just bring dr beckett on and we're going to get started he'll go on some uh Streams of consciousness, as he says, and keep going. Uh, Jim, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Doing great, Mike. You still got one of the best introductions in the uh, in the industry, thanks to your dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is. Uh, out of that. You know, it, I feel like it's a little long. You know, the more I hear it, but I don't care. You know, most people you can skip it. I guess if people don't, no, want I to don't listen. skip it. I, I think. It, well, I don't want to say it's the highlight of your episodes because <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of good content in there too. And I especially like the one with Dave. You know, when I was doing the price guides and doing all this research, I mean, I, I was a serious collector, a serious dealer, uh, but I had a lot of help from a lot of people. But uh, the the leaf cards are are cards that I personally collected, and so even though I had other contributors like Ted Zanadakis, who was, who's awesome for anything. He specialized in everything 48, 49, 50, because he's a little bit older than me. And he had firsthand knowledge. So I tried to get to the guys that had firsthand knowledge, but Dave would have been an awesome contributor if I were still doing that because he's, he, he rolls up his sleeves and he tries to figure things out and, and, and the hobby needs that. On the other hand, like I said, when back in the day, in the in the early mid seventies, once you finished, you, you weren't considered on the map as a collector until you finished your fifty two top set. And after you finished your you know your your run of tops and Bowmans, uh, then 
kind of then you went after Leaf. You went after Stallmeyers and Red Man and and uh, you know Glendale Meats and Dandy Potato Chips and all these food issues. And when you had an episode about that stuff too with John Mangini and and uh, right. I can't remember the other yeah, uh, the other the other guy, but that was really entertaining because, like I said, some of the stuff if it's tops, you just it's just tops, and everybody collected it. But Leaf, not everybody collected it. Not everybody, not everybody even knew when I got started what a complete set was. I mean, they were just figuring out that, hey, this is 98 cards. There's an album that has 168 slots in it, and the numbers go up to 168. So what's going on? Well, I don't think they were being dishonest. They're allowed to do a skip-numbered set. And I think kids pretty much figured that out. That if they bought the box or they bought a, they compared with their kid, their buddies, you know, in uh, in that the first series are the forty nine. I won't say easier, but the the non short printed cards, and they were printed all on one sheet. There were no high number sheets. There were no high number sheets. There were two sheets. There was a sheet that is the forty nine easier numbers. And then there were the 49 short prints, which are extremely tough. They weren't even known until the 70s and 80s. They were rumored, you know, some of those to exist. Somebody had them, but again, it was a very private, private hobby. And so I completed that set as a collector. And, and that's to great fanfare in the industry. I remember talking to Frank Nagy. I'm not even sure he had a complete set of it. Some of the icons, it was very, very tough. And I picked them up on buying trips in the Midwest and all that. So let me see what, okay. So with respect to 49 leaf, the short prints absolutely were sold and distributed in 1949. Those are 19, mostly 49 copyright. No question. That second sheet was done afterwards and way, way more limited. Limited distribution, limited limited supply, all that stuff. However, you know where I differ with Dave is that having submitted a lot of things for copyright myself, you can't submit an idea for copyright. You have to submit a thing for copyright. You have to submit your material with your application. And so, again, meaning like the final product, you're saying like you have to something tangible. It's okay. in the copyright law. It has to be something tangible. Otherwise, it can't be ethereal. It's got to be something tangible. And so I think the Babe Ruth, for a good example, is, uh, well, all the 48 copyrights, Dave correctly points out that some of them, several of them, have mention of things that happened during the 48 season. I agree with that. Okay, that doesn't mean it can't be a 1948 set. It doesn't mean it can't be a late 48 set. There is nothing on the card backs that talks about 1949. Okay. You have some late trades as late as December of, of 1948 that re result in airbrushed fronts of a few of the cards. All of those are the short prints that were to me, the later print, the last 49 to be printed. I think Leaf also wanted to print another 70, you know, uh, six months later to, to fill out the album. I don't think they were trying to cheat anybody that they had this album of 168 cards. They had missing numbers. I think they were intending 
to 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 fill them out. Now, Dave suggests that there was uh, legal pressure put on Leaf, and that Bowman may have been jealous. And I don't. I I. I mean, I've heard that, but I, I don't have any evidence to that effect. In fact, the evidence to the other side would be that Bowman would be overjoyed that Leaf put out such a poor quality control set that did so poorly in the marketplace. I mean, they, Leaf ran out of gas on its own right. I, I don't I don't think they got a cease and desist. I think they because why did they stop football? Why did they stop boxing? In fact, boxing was way more popular. Well, not way more popular, but I think they did way better with their boxing than they did their baseball. The football even, which is not widely produced, but they have two years worth of football. And so, and Bowman was doing football. So I don't think Bowman was nervous about this small candy company in Illinois or wherever they were at that time. Uh, doing what probably, I agree, it probably was more of a regional thing. All the East Coast collectors, they, they'd never seen them. So the fact that I was uh, in Bowling Green in the 70s, uh, starting 1975, I, you, didn't find, you never found a lot of them, but when you found them, you found them. And so I was able to put together a set. I don't remember what the last card I got was. but And then I was friends with John Ramirez, who, if you really want to have an authority on he has not only a complete set, I think he has all the color variations. And so when I was, you know, running with those guys, he was in the Detroit area at the time. I thought, well, that's cool. You know, if you're an advanced collector and you get all the cards, then what do you do? Well, you start getting them autographed. You start getting color variations. You, Everybody wants the challenge. And so I did that. So I've got the, the, uh, the purple musial. Now that's super cool. And that is very, limited. Now I've heard theories about how that happened and that maybe Leaf was trying to save money. Well, that's not how printing works. Saving money on printing is keeping the presses running, not letting them stop. And so if anything, well, that'd be another way of saying that. And also when you're printing in your home printer or your printer that you're, you know, attached to your computer, there are diagnostics with it. it. It it has a warning light, or or it it kicks out if you're uh, running uh, low or out of ink. The big presses of the, in the late '40s they didn't have that. It was it was line of sight. That's why they had press operators. They had to see that the ink was running low, and yet they would get in trouble if they stopped the press. So they either had to add ink on the fly, and I'm not sure how that would be done. But there were there were at least four ink wells. They had to be monitoring all of them. There's the blue and the red and the yellow and the black. And if any of them runs low, they don't all run at the same uh, um, right. intensity. Yeah. And so each there's a screening of how much blue and how much yellow and how much red each thing gets. And if it gets less blue and more and more red, it's going to be more purplish. If it gets all, the full blue, but not the black that sometimes is made for the darker blue, it comes out as lighter blue. So all of these color variations can be explained by uh, a print, uh, a printing press operator that was maybe not paying attention or more concerned about keeping the presses running than worrying about uh, 
the quality control being a little bit bad. The quality control was bad on so many levels. I also heard a theory. I'm on a roll now. I also heard a theory that the that there's the the what is it the ink bleed that the 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 ghosting from the back, and that was because they stacked the the stacked the stacked the sheets too soon. Well, that's not true because because sheets stack immediately anyway. What is probably true is that pressure was applied to that stack, and it got too heavy, so that the sheets on the bottom had with that pressure. It it, uh, it it provided an ink transfer. Uh, and that's the same thing with the print lines. So it wouldn't be the whole stack, but you know, the in, in baseball card sheets, they stack them up 500 sheets high. At the bottom, there's more pressure than at the top. Yeah. And they're they're not wet, but they're not completely cured sometimes either. And so that's that's my theory on that. Um can I ask you a question? Let me come up for Aaron. Yeah, go ahead. So you know, we're in 2022 now, right? You were doing a lot of this research in the early to mid 70s, late 70s. You mentioned people that have, quote unquote, firsthand knowledge. And I think it's important to define what you think. I, I look at that as you were talking to guys that actually opened the packs in 1948, 1949, whenever it was, right? Yeah. And and to me, that's first. I, I did it. I I opened these packs. I can tell you when I did it. Did you ever talk to anyone that gave you that firsthand knowledge? Hey, I opened these in the fall of or late November 20 of 1948. No, again, I don't have any evidence that the cards were distributed in 48, other than the fact that they have 48 copyrights on them. And there's no mention of 49 on the front. And so that first series, it's possible especially since it was submitted for copyright in 48 and it says 48 on the back that uh, I, I'm unwilling, you know, I, I probably tentatively agree with Dave in the sense that it's probably a 49 set, but the fact that it says 48, the fact that the hobby is accepted it as 48, the fact that I was in a position of leadership in the hobby for me to change that to 49 it's not that I'm going to get a lawsuit from anybody that has uh, 48 leaf uh, musials and spawns, but it would just wreak havoc in their in their expectation that if everything is 1948, then the leaf spawn and musial are legitimate rookie cards and not uh, preempted by their 48 moments. And so preserving that uh, continuity to, to pull the rug out from under people when that was the, and again, they have 48 copyrights on the back. And so I was thinking, you know, again, and I had to make the decision. So it wasn't made in a vacuum. It was, it was a, a lesser of evils. So okay. for me to call it, for, and I think my old company has changed it now to just 1949. But to me, it's a 48-49 leaf set, uh, copyrights in 48 and 49. Second series, definitely 49. First series, probably in 49, but I'm not willing to definitively say that there wasn't some card out there in 48. In fact, I, again, why isn't there mention of Babe Ruth's death? He died in August. So, right. you know, and, and that was huge news. It was well, huge me, news. Is it, and again, you and I weren't there, but is it possible that, Let's say that there were some cards distributed and issued and, and sold in nineteen late nineteen forty eight. 
they would carry that over even in the first series cards would the first sheet cards would still have been sold in 1949 as well. True. Yes, yes. I'm leaning. I, I really think what happened is that they printed up a sheet or two and gave them to the Library of Congress for, for the first sheet and said, this is what we're doing. We want to get copyright protection because we've got competitors and, and we want to stake our claim. We don't want anybody copying our stuff. Okay. And then, but I really don't think they came out until March. I really don't think that, but I've got to allow for the possibility with, if you're a kid or if you were a collector in the fifties or sixties and you turn over the card, it looks like a 1948 card for a lot of those, uh, those, those first series guys. And so I mean, there and is I've an ultra modern, there's an ultra modern comparison. I mean, Panini was issuing football sets, you know, <laughs> a year after the season that they were issuing them for and still calling them, you know, 2021, you know, whatever it was. You, you flip it over on the back and you look at what the stats are, what seasons does it talk about? So that means it's either late in that season or slightly after that season or the following spring. Right. And in Leaf's case, I, I in my heart of hearts, I think, and, I, and I've heard of the people that opened them and, and talked about it in their neighborhood, Ted Zanadakis, you know, that they came out in March of, 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 uh, of 49. I'm, I'm just leaving out the possibility that there was something going on in 48 that in my mind gives the benefit of the doubt to the traditional way that that set was, was the nomenclature for that set. So I, after that episode with Dave, I received several direct messages through Instagram one person in particular, and I'm if we had time or if I wasn't doing this and recording this kind of on the fly live, I would go find it. He sent me a log that his, his dad's diary or grandfather's diary. I take that back. Or maybe his dad. It's his dad. I had him on my podcast. Okay. You know, a year, year and a half ago. Okay. So again, in his diary, it talks about they just came out and it was in March. Ted Zanadakis would say the same thing, who I who I, I, I uh, had a lot of contact with. Nobody has told me about opening a short printed pack that, that probably would have been later in uh, late summer, perhaps. Uh, I mean, and whether it was dead on arrival, it, it, it just didn't it, it didn't that dog didn't hunt. Okay, the first series is not even very plentiful. The the, the non-short prints, and so I really think they they were the the national rollout was March of '79, and there's a lot of evidence to that effect. Forty-nine, yes, to forty-nine, yeah, spring of forty-nine, so, March. And so that guy, yeah, the set itself. I mean, you obviously have a a love for the set. You collected the entire set. Do you like the set? Like, do you like? I love the set. It was a, an amazing challenge. You know, when I started, there really weren't that many checklist books that you really could trust. Yeah. You know, and again, the Jefferson Burdick uh, was, I don't know that he was somebody I tried to emulate, but the similarity is that he was an advanced, serious collector. And so when he's doing his American card catalog, he's getting contributions from these other outstanding collectors out there too. But he had the cards. Substantially, he had the cards. Well, he didn't have these. He didn't have these. 
and he he passed away in 63 i think or somewhere like that so i mean it, that's 14 years after these cards and they still didn't even know about all the uh, the short prints what are some of your favorites from that set that you love satchel page for sure yeah, who doesn't satchel. love the satchel page but again the color variations having the uh, the kind of vanilla dimaggio and the purple musial uh, even the light view musial and uh, uh, what else? Well, almost all of them have, and all of those you can trace that back to something where the ink was was uh, ran out, maybe, or or got really low, so it wasn't fully applied uh, to make the because the colors are all made by the combination of inks. The Hermansky, uh, you know, if you look at the original uncut sheet, there's there's still photos of them. I don't know if anybody has them, but I've, I've seen them in the bottom right corner is the eye of Hermansky, the eye that is missing. And that happens in printing. When you get into the corners, maybe the ink didn't get out there or there wasn't the proper pressure on, on that, uh, on that part of the form. So again, very tough variation. Not a, it's, it's probably a printing defect, but you can see it with Hermansk and Hermansky. You don't see any of that with the with the short prints. There's no variations. They're just all pretty much bad, bad quality. Bob Feller is great. I've, I've got wrong backs. You know, I collected the wrong backs. So I've got a Feller with a Enos Slaughter back, upside down Enos Slaughter. And I think I've got the Slaughter with the Feller on the back upside down too. So uh, again, it's, this is what advanced collectors did. They did kind of what, what those two guys you were talking about. They once you got the mainstream stuff, you went toward Leaf and these others that were, let's say, more regional issues. They were regionals. And do you, uh, like I love the Rizzuto in that set. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Um, the red color. I, the the colors can be very striking. They can also be very pale. And obviously the cardboard wasn't terribly high quality. It was it, was easy to scratch and nick and uh, create snowing, you know, very easily on the car. Like the Jackie's notoriously off center, uh, notoriously snowy face yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and I do love the Jackie card. I wish it was a better image of him, you know, a picture of him, but it, it's still a, a Holy Grail card for me to get someday. Um, so how many do you still have? I broke up my set when I started my company, you know, I mean, it's along other things, but I kept the hall of famers, you know, when you come up again, you're at a disadvantage. You haven't been over here. I have got new Hauser on my wall, oh. uh, Adobe, you know, so like uh, that's another issue that there's was probably some social consciousness of the owners of, of leaf uh, because it can't be an accident that they had these three iconic uh, uh, black players uh, very early in their in their major league careers, at least. I mean, Satchel Page had been around, but that's that that probably was a big deal. I I think that bears no relationship to the the fact that sales were apparently poor or demand was poor was poor. But that's a real social statement, and and my hats off to them that they've they've that they've included that. Now, Jackie Robinson, uh, I think he was in the news. Uh, 
you know, Babe Ruth was in the news. So it, it's what goes around comes around. Now the card companies are realized we put some old guys in the set. That doesn't hurt sales. It, right. it, it broadens the appeal. And so they're, they're doing that even now. Well, it's interesting because to me, that set has, a, even for the, if you were in 1948, 1949, and you're a baseball fan, it has a great checklist. The fact that it wasn't as popular as Bowman, it was color. It was, you know, it it shocks me that that set didn't garner more attention, more sales opportunities in the, in the moment because it was so different than the Bowman set. Okay. Well, Why do you think it failed? Well, Bowman had, uh, I think, more history with the card companies from uh, the past. Their their other iterations. Leaf, it's hard to start a brand. You know that. So Leaf is knocking on doors. It's possible they were knocking on doors in 1948 with their first series cards and saying, hey, give us a chance. Uh, you know, candy candy uh, stores. Uh, we're Leaf. And they, well, who are you? You know, so we're Leaf. You know, we, we've got these cards and we, we're, we're sh they're showing you some of those. And they said, well, we'll think about it. But it's hard to break. You know, Tops and Bowman, Bowman eventually and tops when they got going, it was like, you know, you got these cards last year, you know, you're, how many, how many boxes or cases do you want this year? Cause they had a track record. Leaf had no track record right. and they sputtered. And when pe they came around and said, Hey, we got, we got a second sheet. Now they, they didn't call them short prints, but we did got another, another group of them. Do you want to, we haven't sold the first ones. We haven't sold the first ones. And so we, we don't, we don't need them. And so I don't know if they were destroyed or whether they just, uh, you know, they didn't print that many or they printed some to see if they could sell them. But but they were, again, I think Leaf imploded and they crawled back under a rock, Mike, and they didn't come out for another 10 years. Yeah, 1960 11 Leaf, years, 11 which years. was terrible. And then... Which was not great either. So they were not quality control control people. As evidenced by these, these, these printing... Uh, anomalies you know the the color variations are mistakes it's somebody that's just letting it ride even though they can see that the red ink is is running real low and i think who cares they're just baseball cards what about like how are the and i can't remember if dave and i touched on this if we did i don't remember the answer how are how are these cards distributed how many cards in a pack how much was a pack three for a nickel or well, I think there were penny packs, but there there probably were nickel packs too. I don't know. I'd have to ask Ted about that. Like I said, I know people. I talked to people that had packs, but I don't. I don't have firsthand knowledge of that. But I don't. Have you think ever seen an unopened pack of of leaf? I've seen the wrapper, but I I haven't seen an unopened pack. I haven't either. I've never even heard of one. Uh, well, yeah. again, I don't know that the wrappers were works. Of, I think they were not works of art. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you keep going. If you got more nuggets to share, I'm 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 eager to hear. So, so again, I think Bowman was happy with Leaf, happy that they were doing a terrible product that ran out of gas. Then they had the whole thing to themselves. Except Tops was waiting in the wings, thinking, "Hey, you know, maybe there's a market there if we do it right." And in '52, they hit it out of the park. Right. Uh, but wouldn't you think that Tops would have the same? Now, granted, Tops had Cy Berger, so that's a wild card in this whole process. But in terms of a guy that just 
was driven to make a product succeed, but Topps would have the same uphill battle that Leaf would go into the candy store owners at the time. They they were unknown, you know. No, they, were, no they, they already had candy. No, they they were already selling them stuff. They already already had accounts. Gotcha. It was a gum company. They were already selling the gum in, so okay. they already had a relationship with all those candy stores. And Leaf did That's not. Mainly in candy stores because Topps was a was a candy and gum company. Gotcha. So, so they, they didn't have to reestablish relationships. Or, That's right. why Tops hit the ground running. And and uh, Cy had a couple of, he had, uh, you know, with Woody Gelman, who was his sidekick, who had uh, some of the graphic design chops. You know, they they changed the game with, with the bigger card in 52. And Cy had the vision of going straight to the players, getting relationships with players, and uh, locking them in. And that's, that, so he, he had more than one contribution or two contributions, but those are two key contributions. I don't know that Leaf even had relation, had, had contractual arrangements or if they were, you know, if it's five bucks, 10 bucks to hey be in the set, it's, it, it just was probably pretty superficial. Bowman wasn't paying big bucks. So right. I, I, I'm hard pressed to think there was a lawsuit there uh, because neither one of them were very successful. So there wasn't a lot of money to fight about. Um, and Leaf, like I said, Leaf, Leaf, I think imploded. Right. You know, people, e even kids in those days could see what's a primitive looking card and what's a, and, and what's a nice looking card. And, and Bowman started getting their act together. I think 1950 Bowman with those, those, uh, you know, smaller, but colorful, uh, the, 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 and artistic, those really look nice. 48 and 49. Not so much. 50, yes. That put them on that 51, but then they got they got aced out by 52 tops. It is ironic if you make the connection that 49 Bowman looks a lot like 49 Leaf, right? I mean, the color backgrounds, the superimposed player images on the color, yeah. you know, single color backgrounds. I don't know that that was an accident. Do you think well, it may not have been? And also it's it's it, it's a little bit of but it's also reminiscent of of just cleaning up 48 Bowman, which which are mug shots that are black and white, very little design effort there. And so they've added a little bit of color, but it's primitive. I still think 48, 49 leaf is a better looking card than 49 Bowman. It's bigger, there's more real estate. Um I actually like the smaller set because I think there's, it's, it's just chock full of, 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 uh, iconic players. So, yeah. And so Bowman wasn't doing that. I think Bowman was trying to put out the modern baseball card set, which is the, the, the players of, of today. And Leaf was, you know, just like when Leaf did boxing, same thing. They had current boxers and older boxers. And I think the boxing sold a lot better. And I think they thought, Hey, you know, candy store, you know, you're, I don't know which came first, but they had two years worth of football. So it makes me think that football did come out in 48, uh, you know, late fall 48. And they thought they'd get their baseball on there too. And, you know, if they came in in late 48, nobody's thinking baseball in December. Right. And so they said, come back in March. You know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating as well. Uh, let's see the guys that, that, um, that Dave talked about the Walter Corson and uh, Lionel Carter 
and who was the other? Oh, Buck Barker. Well, I, I knew Lionel Carter and I knew Buck Barker. And I talked to him about a whole bunch of sets, not specifically this, but a whole bunch of sets that they were just not. And Walter Corson had already passed away, but all of his cards, his whole collection was bought by Frank Nagy. And I spent more time with Nagy. And I don't think he had all the 48 Leafs, 49 Leafs. I don't think he had them all. He had more than one complete set of 52 tops. I don't think he did. And so whenever I would say I found one, he wanted to pry it away from me. But I was a collector. I, you know, even though he probably could have thrown up a pretty good trade, you know, in those days, it just, they didn't apply so much pressure when they knew that you were a collector and that you wanted it for your collection. They, they weren't going to guilt you or shame you into, hey, but I need this and I'm older than you, <laughs> you know, give me that card. Uh, he said, well, that's great. And he said, but you find some others or get any dupes, let me know. Because uh, it was, like I said, it's what the serious collectors were talking about in the hospitality rooms of the day. Those were some of the topics that was, that, that were talked about because they were, it was the hunt. It was the describe, describe a hospitality room. I just did a podcast on that with Rich. Actually, it's not released yet. That's why you don't know about it. Okay. <laughs> but basically in the, in the, you know, uh, on uh, there, there'd be a meeting room at the hotels where the card shows were mainly in the Midwest and the promoter would get that for free. And so it's kind of like my, my, my hobby uh, content creator dinners that there'll be a room close to where, in where the show is. And after the show, you go up there for pizza and, and uh, drinks, you know, probably beer and wine and stuff like that. Nobody was getting drunk, but uh, very low key, very casual, but there'd be 15, 20 guys there, 30 guys there, not, never that many that would just talk about cards, you know? So it was like trade night, except nobody was bringing their cards, but that's where I learned about the Wagners and who had them. You know, they could go around the room. The guys in the room could articulate who had what cards, what, what, what the state of each person's collection was. And it was fascinating. That's how I learned. So that's secondhand. It's not firsthand, but that's how I learned about the the scarce numbers you'd get their want list you see hey everybody's looking for this number and it's not a missing number it's a it's just a hard number it's a super short print and and those 40 49 leaves the the second series is definitely 49 and they are super short prints that really is, really really tough to be in one of those to go back i bet you would even love to go back and and sit in those rooms and ask other oh, questions well, i'd have a lot more questions now exactly with a lot of the questions are answered, but some of them aren't, and they might have the knowledge. Now, the other three guys that he threw out were, let's see, Rich Egan and Larry Fritch, and uh, I think Jim Nowell. Well, I knew those guys too, and they were, again, they were, Larry Fritch especially, they were really, really serious collectors. Larry Fritch probably also, I, I'm sure he did have a complete set of, of, the, of the Leafs, you know, because he had everything. And so he would have it. Uh, but he played close to the vest, but he, you know, he, he would, he would be, he would kind of only, he would kind of want to trade information with me. He'd want me to share something that I'd learned before, or he'd either say, well, you tell me what you think and I'll, I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. So he was, <laughs> he was cagey and he was this big burly guy and, and, uh, you know, just an amazing guy, but he had, he had millions of cards you know, back in the day when that when that was something that was good to have a lot of cards. Uh, 
but all those guys, you know, that, that Dave talked about, yes, they were working on together to figure out what's going on and they'd share their knowledge within their inner circle, their inner fraternity uh, to know just what was out there. And it, there, there's, there's, it was, it's not correct that Paige is any tougher. Like I said, I have two of them. It's not tougher than any other of the short prints. It wasn't removed from the sheet or anything like that. It's on the same sheet with those other 40. The 49 of them are on there. And uh, Paige is no tougher than Doby, no tougher than Newhauser, no tougher than Feller, no tougher than uh, any of these other guys that are on there. And so, uh, but the demand is higher because it's Leroy Page. It's not even Satchel Page, it's Leroy. Uh, so I don't, I think people didn't know about it. They had the, uh, I think it's true that they had a wrong number postulated for Page, but that didn't make the card scarcer. It just was already really scarce. And also when people got that card, if they knew what it was, they put it away. It wasn't for trade. Like I said, the fact that the fact that I had two of them is because I thought if I ever need to make a big trade, that is going to be currency. You'll have but a page in your hip pocket. I I keep a page in my pocket. Yeah. Uh, the other comment that was made was about rookie cards back in the day. Again, rookie cards are meaningful now, and I said that's a big part of my decision why I'm unwilling to take the 1948 off, why I want to hedge because, because of Musial and Spawn. Um, it, it's not fair to change the rules. And so there's, there's, uh, there's a, a slight chance that they were, that some of them were out there in 48 and that allows for those, it allows for the Jackie to be probably the, the preferred rookie. If it's really 48, 49 and not just 49, and I think the marketplace has determined that that, uh, that that that's the that's the that's the number one Jackie uh, rookie card in the aftermarket pricing. Uh, it's it's tougher. Tougher's okay. Newhauser's really tough, right? Newhauser's I mean, really tough because he's not he's an old rookie because he he would he'd already won a couple of MVPs. Um, let's see. Uh, There's a counter advertising thing that's on eBay that I looked at and it's got the regular, uh, the regular series mixed in with short prints. I'm convinced that that was produced at a much later date. Okay. It's a, like a reprinted thing that I don't believe that is original. Uh, I think that was, that's just a, a cardboard novelty that somebody did probably in the, in the eighties or nineties. Uh, let's see. So when, what, what year would you say you said, okay, this is all that there is these 96 cards, 98, but yeah, or 98. Sorry. No, I think they all were out by 49. No, I'm yeah. saying, when did you finally come to the conclusion yourself through your research and said, in the seventies, I think that was kind of, that was, that was, I think put to bed by the seventies. I've read where guys had figured it out, but it wasn't widely known until until the early mid seventies that that was it. Because they still were holding out hope when they were fine. These cards were trickling in, and and they there were skip numbered still. There were still there were another seventy missing numbers that I'm convinced 
Leaf wanted to do, but the demand was not there. They they just they, they lost money on this, Mike. I mean, you're a capitalist too. They they lost money. There's yeah. no way they made money. You know, you the first set of something that you do, there's a lot of startup costs. You know, selling and and trying to create some demand. Uh, we don't see a lot of collateral marketing materials. I, I think it was a marketing failure. It was a production failure, and what that leads to are very scarce cards that are highly collectible now. And for us to quibble about what year it is, um, you know, it's 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 essentially a 1949 issue. But uh, in my price guide responsibility, I, I I think being a kind of Solomon, you know, splitting the baby is splitting the year. Right. Uh, uh, let's see. All three of the variations, you know, that, that you have the Aberson, I forget, you know, the sleeve stuff and all that stuff. All those are in the first easier series. And so that means they went back to press and, and, and made those changes based on uh, whatever happened there. Uh, the premiums, you know, y- y'all mentioned the premiums. I, I, Dave says the premiums were box toppers. Uh, I think that is a possibility, but it's also possible that they were premiums, you know, from the wrapper redemption that's mentioned at the bottom of the cards. The problem with the box topper theory is that the, I don't believe uh, it's, well, the it's possible that the box has to be configured a certain way in order for the box topper to fit in the box <laughs> because it's bigger than four cards. So if there, if there, if there were packs that were four, you know, four pack, but if it's, if it's, if it's a two rows of three packs in the box, then I think the box top topper can fit. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any bone to pick about that. The, and those are 1949 for sure. Uh, because, you know, um, again, it doesn't matter unless they were, if they were box toppers, did anybody see them in 48? I, like I said, the guy that I knew the best that I spent the most time talking about with was Ted Zanadakis. And he was really into it, really into it. And he was insistent. And then, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting the name, but the guy whose dad had the diary. Yeah. You know, I had him on and, and I totally believe that. It is it is fascinating to me that you know it's it's not that many generate it's two generations ago that there are people still alive today that probably opened those packs not as many as there were twenty years ago but you would think that we would know how the what the boxes look like what how the cards were configured in the box like the fact that that knowledge is lost seems sad to me really that we don't know. Well, nothing will be lost now because you got YouTube. <laughs> well, if it's on video, it didn't happen. I mean, you got all these box breaks and case breaks and all that uh, for posterity. So Yeah, I mean, I guys can tell awesome. you, you know, in the auto will be in this pack, this number of card on this pack. You know, they can tell you box configurations and stuff. Now, that wasn't a concern probably in the 40s. Who cares? You know, um, nobody kept, if you found an empty box of what Leaf cards came in, you'd, you'd have a nice little treasure you know, right there. You know, one of the dilemmas I had in my price guide 
sort of responsibility. I felt a responsibility to, you know, give it my best and all that. But, uh, you know, especially in those early days working with Denny uh, and Denny did some of the typesetting and he was kind of more of a publisher, but I was, I was, uh, when I'd write up these blurbs about the sets, right. He would say, you know, you can't make them too long. You, you want to help the person understand the, the set and what the key cards are and the dimensions and all that stuff. But what you and I are talking about now, uh, some of that stuff I knew back in the seventies, but in 79, in the first book, you, you can't write a whole page of information about a leaf set that is not widely collected. And so some of these things were known. So I sympathize with Dave and others who are, if they look at an almanac or a standard catalog, uh, there, there's just a short mention of some of those things. And so, you know, if I'd have known these, these conversations would be taking place, I could have expanded that back in the day and really gone for it, you know, in the way that being an extra intensive defe- uh, detective. Do you think, and I'm going to ask this question, I don't know, I'm not trying to offend, but are there details of those conversations, you know, in the hospitality rooms and other places that you might have forgotten over time? I mean, it's been a while. It's impossible. Just kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's some things, but uh, but on the other hand, anything that uh, I, I do have a good memory, and so much of that stuff, Mike, I incorporated into the price guides and of these, you know, the distribution anomalies and some of the things I could put in either the the the, the little short descriptions of the set. And then, you know, what was a short print? And so I would postulate what I thought was a short print. And somebody would say, I knew guys that had uncut sheets. And they'd say, well, for you, I'll let you see my sheet. Well, in those days, there weren't they weren't shooting on their iPhone. You right. literally either had to bring it or you had to go somewhere and see it. It just it, it wasn't easy to get a photo. And so to see it, then it could it was a, it, I, I'd have a hunch based on the cards that I could tell were easier or harder. And they would verify that hunch by showing the actual uncut sheet, which in that series, you could see what was single printed or double printed. And, uh, and that was very, so I couldn't have it all, but I listened rapidly, very attentively. And uh, a lot of the veterans, you know, at the end of the show, they, they just went up. It was like going upstairs and, and having a beer and having a slice of pizza and talking about the hobby. And I, I was the young whippersnapper. You know, I was just this, this young guy that had just gotten out of school or was even in school in the early ones. Uh, and so, you know, I, I listened, I asked questions. I'm very analytical. I'm trying to figure things out. Uh, you know, the, the guys Dave mentioned are iconic and they were willing to share their knowledge and, and original researchers, but, some of it they wrote down and some of it they didn't. I, I'm sure I tried to write down as much as I could, Mike, but it's, it's, uh, and that's why I'm doing a podcast now because I wouldn't have thought about this except for thanks to you and Dave doing this. I, I, I just thought, you know, I'm not thinking nobody cares, but I'm just thinking. And so when I heard Dave say these things that he said, that's, uh, he's really trying to advance the ball and he has, but there are a few things that need to be clarified. There are not high numbers. There's no such thing as high numbers. There's two sheets. There's an easier sheet that's not easy and a harder sheet 
that's impossible. <laughs> gotcha. And so that's it. So Ted Williams is not the the lowest of the high numbers. It's there. It's Ted Williams is the same as Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson. Those guys were all on that first sheet. I, I'll tell you, I completed the first forty nine really easily. But then I got a I I got hooked because I got a few of the high numbers on a a buying trip. You just said high numbers. Columbus. Oh, well, I messed up then. Okay, the, short, <laughs> the higher the the the, the second the second sheet. sheet, yeah, the second sheet. And so I had the first forty nine, and then when I found a few of the others, I was a com- I was a complete set guy back in that day, and I thought, well, I got to go for it. And you didn't see them at shows. The only way you could get them is you know from buying some of these collections that hadn't been touched. And I, I was very aggressive. I'd buy the whole collection, and you know, set up in a hotel room and do that. Um, I don't remember trading. I don't remember trading for them. I don't remember buying them. I remember getting, a, I maybe traded for a few or bought a few, but the vast majority I got by buying large collections of guys that were older than me that, that had collected in the late forties and had these. So cool. Any other pearls of wisdom, Jim, as we well, wrap I up? Know, I, I, said, I, I don't want to uh, quash any any original research. And I thought my original research days are over, but I think my reminiscing days are, are still around. And so I'm trying to build an oral uh, record. And so as you, I, I really enjoyed the episode with uh, John, you know, when he's, and those guys talking about the Stallmeyers. I actually collected the Cons Wieners from the hot dogs and they were the bottom of the pack. Okay. And so they are soggy and 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 stay, but some of them were remaindered or were salesman samples and things like that. Same with Stall Myers. So I I I I wouldn't I wasn't collecting Stall Myers, but I have I don't have complete. I have the mantles and the mazes, but not not ever. I don't have fully complete sets, but I have the cards I want, campy and guys that guys that I collect. Those are super tough. And yeah. to, to want the fact that it's a three or a two is normal. It's the best one I ever saw. Right. <laughs> it's nicer than that. There, there's something wrong. That means sure. it really was, it was, it was done off. Uh, it was never in the hot dog Briggs meets. You know, I, I tried to have type cards of all of those and those are same thing. I think though, I believe those were on the outside of the pack, not the inside of the pack. What about the Johnson cookies cards? I've always wondered if they were actually in cookie packages or. Well, uh, I think they were, but there was a guy in Milwaukee that I, that I met that I knew his name was Bill something, but he actually either worked for the company. He had sets coming in. He had, he had uh, suitcases full of sets of the, uh, of, I guess the, the first year. Yeah. 54. The 53. Or 53. the easy one, and they're easy because he had he had just complete sets. How many do you want? Right now, the the booklet ones I think are the toughest ones. The fifty fours are the tall, skinny ones. Right. I've got a beautiful Aaron, you know, which he he's not even wearing forty four. I don't think. So he's and that's like not a pre rookie, but it's a very legit rookie. Yeah, that's one of my favorite cards too. I've got that on my on my other wall. I have a, I have a wall of fame. That's also for oversized cards. If you get inside my card cave. It sounds like I need to just hop in my car right now and head over to Dallas and come see you. 
but uh you need to make an appointment mike just like i made an appointment to come see you and the beast did you did and uh well thanks so much uh, well, thank Jim, you. Thank on. you. And keep up the great work because I'm I'm really enjoying your podcast. And if it provokes me to to interact on something where I'm trying to be helpful, like I said, I don't want to quench or, or quash anything Dave is doing because I watched he had a video whenever that was a couple months ago with showing someone's collection. That was fabulous. I have a yeah. lot of those cards, but even I don't have all those cards. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to see cards you don't have. You know, no one can know everything, no right? One can. And but I think together we can know a lot. And I right. think the more we share that, I think that's important to me yeah. to try to get as many uh, perspectives on different things within the hobby, especially the old stuff, because it's it's gone. It's it's days of old, well, and yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I was I was the young guy listening to the old guys. Now I'm the old guy. And so <laughs> I I, get, I got a I'm trying to get out, but I, I can't think of, I, I can only respond when I hear something that I can say, I can add to that. That's why I like the dueling questions because somebody will ask me something. I hadn't thought about that late. So well, thanks I for appreciate you adding to this discussion about uh, the leaf set and all that you do and all that you have done and will continue to do. So make sure you guys are checking out Dr. Beckett. Uh, he, puts out almost daily content on sports card insights on his podcast. He does YouTube as well. Uh, Dr. James Beckett, sports card insights and Jim have a great one, man. Thanks for coming. Well, on the show. Blue jacket 66. I'm a big fan. So I hope he continues his uh, journey to not necessarily get all the cards, but get a bunch of good cards, which we're all trying to do. We all are. All right, guys. Uh, thanks, thanks again for thanks, watching. Mike. Thanks for listening and uh, keep collecting.